fantastic. What a joy it is to be with you. I love the table. Okay, well, that's just me, apparently. Um, I just love what God is doing with us. Uh, if you are a guest visiting, uh, we're so happy that you've joined us. Um, you've kind of come into one of those family moments where we're tracking together as a church um, and we've begun to see God do some wonderful things amongst us. We're seeing some significant healings happening uh, in our meetings and amongst us. We're seeing people get filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues and begin to prophesy all the things that we see in the Bible. And uh, we're just having about as much fun as is legal um, in, in the church. And I love what God is doing with us. And one of the things I'm so convinced of is that if we honor what God is doing, if we're grateful for what God is doing, he will multiply it. Right? And I believe we're in this incredible season of God wanting to multiply his moving amongst us. And so worship team and the guys who've been serving, just absolutely incredible. Michael, you're doing a great job on the sound. Can you bring me down a little bit? It sounds like very loud and it's a bit of an echo. Fantastic. Why don't you turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, I want to remind you that we are going through a season of teaching around what it means for the church to be uh, the wisdom of God on display. And I want to anchor us in our text that Katya started off with um, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus that experienced an incredible revival um, this church in Ephesus changed the landscape of everything um, in, in Ephesus. And he says this to this amazing church. He says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the, through the, okay guys, I'm a bit Pentecostal, my church knows this. I like it when people talk back to me. Through the? Okay, now I'm going to say, I'm going to ask you to say it like you believe it. Through the? Yeah, you guys are getting it. Through the church. The manifold wisdom, that means the multicolored, the varied expression. It's kind of like um, when, when light shines through a diamond and many different colors begin to um, be on display. That's exactly what that word means. The multifaceted diversity of God's wisdom is made known, notice, to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. I'm going to tell you, we are living in days of God's outpouring. I want you to flip back just very quickly, please, to Acts chapter 8. I want to remind you that we are called to be the people who display God's wisdom. In other words, when people are looking for answers, the church should be the display of the wisdom of God. I'm going to say amen to my own point because I thought that was good. Acts chapter 8, and we're picking up just after um, Stephen, a deacon, was um, martyred for his faith. 
And notice here it says, And Saul, chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged up men and women and committed them to prison. Verse number four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in the city. There was much joy in the city. I, I want you to know that Katya and I um, and the team, we plan our preachers well in advance. Um, and I, I said to Katya, she says, we're worshiping. It is not lost in me today that I'm preaching out of Acts chapter 8, talking about Samaria experiencing great joy. Samaria right now, modern day Samaria, is slap bang in the center of the West Bank in Palestine. And I love, uh, I'm prophetic, so everything's a sign for me. <laughs> I love it when God highlights things. And I want to just, I know we've prayed before, but I want you right now, just where you are seated, to be praying for Israel, to be praying for Palestine, that God would bring great joy. Wouldn't it be amazing if he did it again? If he did it again, right there in the middle of the West Bank, that there would be joy in the city. We've got, I'm personally invested in praying because we've got dear friends. You guys remember Will Hart, who was here just a few weeks ago. He is stuck in Israel with a group of 70 students in a bomb shelter. This is, uh, I want to encourage you, you lean in in prayer. Would you believe God for a miracle? I come from a nation in South Africa where there was talk of a civil war that would break out in 1994. And because the church prayed, God turned it around for good. And so I want to invite you, please be praying for that. Um, I want to lean into this verse very quickly, Acts chapter 8, and I love this refrain, there was much joy in that city. And I want us to unpack just a little bit about what it looks like for the church to reveal the joy of heaven, to reveal what it looks like to walk in God's purposes for the sake of a city. Now, I want you to notice that the first thing we see as we begin to encounter this in the book of Acts is that there's a persecution going on. Something's happening that is causing discomfort at a high level. I, I often say uh, this to um, my friends in the West, that persecution is not the worst thing that can happen to the church. Ain't getting no amens for that one. <laughs> the worst thing that can happen to the church is that we lose our fiery, hot love for Jesus. Because you see, persecution is not the end result or a fate complete about the state of the church. In fact, throughout Scripture and throughout history, wherever there is persecution, 
it is not a setback, it is a setup for the church. I'm going to preach myself happy even if you're not going to be happy. Listen, the incredible thing is, wherever you look in the book of Acts, wherever there's persecution, it is always followed by great fruitfulness. You see, your setup, your, your setback is a setup for God's fruitfulness in your life. Listen, when you, when you begin to unpack throughout history, um, when communist China began to take over the whole of China and shut down all the churches and they said, that's the end of religion in China, do you know what happened? The church thrived and now there are more Christians in China than there are communists. There, there is an outrageous revival that has happened in China. I know I've been in the underground church in China. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen miracles happen, people getting saved. <laughs> My wife, born in Iran, in a country that has dominated the news because of its unethical human rights violation and its moral police that literally beat people to death. I want to tell you the fastest growing church in the world today with millions and millions of Christians is in the nation of Iran. And you're worried when somebody at work says, I don't like the fact that you're a Christian. Somebody help me. <laughs> I want to tell you, something needs to grow in the people of God again. A holy boldness. Notice I did not say a holy rudeness. Because some Christians are just weird and rude. <laughs> but we need a holy boldness to realize that when the gospel comes into any given context, there is always going to be a shake-up. But for the people of God, that shake-up is for the benefit of God's glory and to the good of his people. I love this. Philip is a deacon. He's just, he's just one of those people in church who are just real nice people. You know, the kind of people you want to make a deacon, greet people at the doors, help lead a little community group. Beautiful man. He has four daughters who are uh, prophets. They all prophesy. And I love this because God uses a very ordinary person filled with the Holy Spirit because of persecution, because of difficulty, to travel to Samaria as a Jew. Now, you need to understand that the Samarians and Jews did not like one another. They didn't hang out. They didn't do uh, meals together. Jewish people thought that the Samarians were um, a lower class of, of Jew. In fact, they were a lower class of person. They, they were very, the Jews were very racist towards the Sumerians. These are, are, are people that has had, they've had a contentious history with, Jew, uh, with, uh, uh, with the Jewish people. And Philip, this Jew, from persecution, I love his style, goes to one of the most hostile places for him to be as a Jew. You know, either the gospel's true or it's not. We don't have the option of wavering around it and trying to make it fit to our comfortable culture. I will move on quickly. 
And he gets into Samaria, and I, I love what happens. He, he preaches the gospel, they hear him, and they see demonstrations of power. I've often said this, and I quote, um, I think it's the great John Wimber who said this, the gospel is always show and tell. Like a gospel without any demonstration of power, a gospel without the demonstration of people getting set free from demons. I want to tell you in this church, we believe in the reality of darkness and demonic forces that try and oppress people to block them from entering into the purposes of God. We also believe that Jesus is a whole lot better and a whole lot more powerful. In fact, he's not just more powerful, he is all-powerful. And he's given us authority to see breakthrough in these areas. Just last week, we've seen God move in our community. People who had strongholds getting set free from those strongholds, coming into a level of freedom and wholeness because the gospel works. It has to be a show and tell gospel. I want you to just also notice for those who... Um, might argue that miracles have ceased. For those of you who might argue that only the apostles did miracles in the Bible, um, Philip was neither an apostle, he was just a simple deacon. And he was doing miracles. The idea that miracles, signs and wonders have ended is the spirit of stupid. <laughs> there is nothing in Scripture that would, would tell us that there has been an end to it. And just because of a lack of experience does not mean that you get to prop up bad theology. <laughs> you see, I, I've seen a resurrection from the dead personally, so I know this stuff works. And people often tell me, uh, you know, you need to have a whole lot of faith. Well, that dead person had no faith and came back to life. And you see that all these miracles that begin to happen, all these signs and wonders begin to happen because the gospel was not meant to be quiet. When we came to New England, I remember we, we met a number of people who kept saying to us, there's a silent revival that is happening in New England. I mean, I literally get this often, there are lots of silent Christians who are doing things for God. And, and I appreciate that, and I value that, and I get what people are saying, but there is no revival in history that has ever been silent. The demonstration of the kingdom comes to the city of Samaria, and it shifts the atmosphere of the whole city. I want to tell you, that biblical precedence is an invitation for us to experience that very same thing. You can see I'm happy. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 says this beautiful thing. It says that Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, and all things have been given to him so that his body might fill all in all. The inference that the Apostle Paul is making there in Ephesians chapter 1 and 22 is that the fullness of Christ dwells in his church and therefore every space 
in every way needs to be occupied by the living, breathing presence of Jesus. Everything is redeemable. It means every aspect of society, when Christians show up, it becomes an opportunity to redeem it for the sake of God's glory. You see, I'm just so tired of so many Christians who want to build a Christian ghetto and get stuck up on some kibbutz, oh, help me, Jesus, growing vegetables and waiting for Jesus to come. It is an unbiblical worldview. The point of the gospel is that in the scattering, in the scattered servants that begin to walk on the streets of Boston, that begin to walk in the city that you come from, Christ is filling all in all. Dear brothers and sisters, when we live in this way, we get to experience the power of God. Listen, some of my most favorite miracles have not happened in a church building. They've happened on the streets. I've seen people get healed. I've seen people get set free, and I've seen them respond to the person of Jesus. I always love it when the kingdom of God comes upon someone as I speak God's words to them, as I share the gospel, as I pray for them, and they get healed. I then get to say, would you like to meet the king of this kingdom? Every space and in every way God is calling us to be scattered servants, to impact the very fabric of society. I want to say this just because I think I would be remiss if I didn't and I'd be a bad pastor. The aim of the gospel is not to Christianize the world. The aim of the gospel is not to make things culturally Christian. The aim of the gospel is not to have a Christian president. Mm -mm. The aim of the gospel is to have a people who actually believe what Jesus says, that the kingdom of God is within them, and so that God's kingdom creates an atmosphere in which it makes it easy for the unbeliever to become a Christian and say, who is your king? Philip goes to Samaria and simply because he's declaring the gospel and demonstrating the gospel, joy comes to that city. The Bible uses this word that the church is meant to display to rulers, authorities, principalities, the very wisdom of God. I want you to understand the wisdom of God is not just for the world. The wisdom of God is for the spiritual powers and principalities that rule over Boston. Let me help you. In other words, as the church does what the church is supposed to do, as the church walks out its mandate in the kingdom, principalities and powers are displaced, not because we are blowing shofars, not because we're going up to a high mountain to try and shout and scream at the devil and try to do like weird spiritual warfare stuff, but simply because the kingdom of God is advancing. Let me help you a little bit more. The Bible uses the word principality, and it is a word that means first ruler. How many of you know that because we are in Christ, in his body, the first ruler over Boston is not whatever 
strong old Jew thinkers here, the first ruler over Boston is Jesus. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Which means when we show up, because we are his body, wisdom is on display so that it shifts an atmosphere over a whole city and principalities, strongholds, demonic influences that are impacting culture, that are impacting worldviews, suddenly get shifted because there is a community that is entirely different. And if you wonder if this has happened before, I would say to you, if you study church history, if you study what happened in the book of Acts, within 30 to 60 years, the Roman Empire, which was the most oppressive empire, up until that point, got completely destroyed, not by the warfare of Christians, not by rallying arms and weapons in order to overcome it, but by simply being the alternative community that looked like heaven on earth. Brothers and sisters at the table, Boston, we're going for something. It's not nice Sunday church. We're not a McDonald's drive through you just come in, order whatever you want, and off you go. No, 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 no. We're the people of God meant to display the wisdom of God. To a city steeped in intellectualism. To a city steeped in its own opinions. To a state that has been divided by political allegiances. When actually the people of God is meant to display all that he is. If you agree, please say amen. You see, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God coming to the earth as it is in heaven. Now, I just want to say this, that the kingdom of God is different from the church. I want you to understand this. The kingdom of God is God's gracious rule. It's his reign. It's the expression of who he is coming on the earth, people getting healed, people getting set free, um, marriages being restored, um, um, you know, human slavery being completely eradicated, please, Lord, in our day and in our generation, may it be. That's the kingdom of God coming to the earth. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And the church, who is the community of God, called together, fit together uniquely, is the vehicle, the primary vehicle by which God demonstrates his kingdom. And I want to say to you, God is not coming back for a parachurch organization. He's not coming back for a ministry organization that you put up with a little name and a website. He's coming back for a bride called the... You see, I, I run a ministry called Frequency, and it's a beautiful ministry. I'm hoping that it will become obsolete very soon. Because the point is not for me to build a name or a ministry. The point is to build the church. The best thing you can do is give yourself to the very thing that Jesus gave himself. It was for the joy that was set before him, the church, that he laid down his life. I love it that in a season of deconstruction, where every millennial and Gen Z is questioning the authority of Scripture, questioning whether God is good, and questioning the role of the church. Like if you went to any persecuted nation right now, there are people willing to risk their life, 
just to get into a meeting where the people of God gather. It should give you an indication of the incredible power and grace that is upon a people who come together. That's <laughs> why Paul, or the writer to the Hebrews says, do not forsake. Do not forsake the gathering of the saints. That doesn't mean just come once a month. I'll move on quickly. The church is the primary vehicle through which the kingdom of God is established. I love what Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 22 says. It says this, A wise man scales the city and pulls down the strongholds in which they trust. Dear brothers and sisters, we live in such an incredible moment in history where there's so many ideologies and thoughts running around. But I want to tell you that wisdom means that we go after the strongholds in the city, not just simply to pray against them, but to incarnate another way of being. You see, Philip shows up to a city called Samaria that has been governed by Simon the sorcerer. You'll see a little bit later as you go through Acts chapter 8 that the apostles come down to lay hands upon this new community that just got saved in order for them that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that what happened at Pentecost happened there again. It, it is the sign that, that when God, uh, when you get saved, the very next thing that happens is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And whilst I believe theologically that you receive all of God in the moment that you get saved, it is clear through the book of Acts that there is a second experience. Kathy did so well speaking on that last week. But what you see is a man called Simon the Great, Simon the Magician, who had um, governed the city for a while through his magic. And what does Philip do when he shows up? He says, this magic is counterfeit. It's not the real thing. And he goes after the very stronghold. I think inadvertently he was just doing what the kingdom of God calls us to do. And what he does in that moment is displaces the power that Simon the magician had because of the miraculous signs and wonders that were on display. He's a wise man. He goes after the strongholds in which the city trusts. And so I just want to mention a few things. You see, the kingdom of God, when it comes to the earth through the church, brings about divine solutions in order to redeem every space and every place in every way. I, I just want to say this. Um, it is easy to disconnect in um, your day-to-day -day life the importance of the kingdom of God coming and the church of God being established alongside of that simply because of a lack of experience. But I, I've seen that when the church leads in morality issues, when the church leads, I'm not just talking about speaking, I'm talking about incarnating, living it out. When the church leads on issues to do with racism. I come from a nation where black and white were separated. I am a person of color who grew up in South Africa during apartheid where they legislated racism. And do you know what the church did? They rose up and began to build multiracial churches because nothing else 
in South Africa had been seen like it, and because it is the prophetic answer for cities in South Africa. Wise men scales the city, pulls down the strongholds in which they trust. I want to tell you, I have seen the church rise up again and again in nations to bring about significant changes in cities simply because they are the counterculture in that city. The church is supposed to be the redemptive expression of God's purposes in his kingdom. Listen, I was in, um, in the north of England. I was working, helping oversee a number of church plants. And I remember prophesying that there would be mass flooding that will happen in the Lake Districts. Um, and I given a specific date that the next summer, flooding in the UK is always very possible because they get a lot of rain. So it's not really prophetic, unless you say in the middle of the there's going to be mass flooding happening in the north of England. And I remember our churches beginning to take up offerings, much like Agabus when he prophesied the fast, I mean the, the, um, the um, famine, that Paul began to take up offerings in every church to bring relief. And I remember our church in Cockermouth, in, um, in the north of England, just outside the Lake District, they were the first responders as the flood began to come in all over that area. They were the first people on the news to say, hey, we've been preparing for this because we knew it was coming. And they were the first people to bring about practical, tangible, and pastoral care for a whole region. Wouldn't it be amazing if we become the first responders We're not going after nice church, y'all. We're going after a people who are radical lovers of Jesus, who want to demonstrate his kingdom and see the church be made manifest. Listen, the church is going to fill all in all through your feet. Where you walk is where the church walks. Where you walk you become a gateway, an opportunity for the kingdom of God to be made manifest. Brothers and sisters, Philip just went and traveled. He's like, cool, let me go to Samaria. That seems like a good option. Gets there, and power breaks out because he begins to tell people about the resurrected Lord Jesus. Wherever your feet walk, you get an opportunity to be the redemptive purposes of God. Now listen, we want to be at the table, we want to be the redemptive solution for the strongholds in this city. I, I want to tell you, we, um, we love the intellect in this church. My wife is a medical doctor who studied at Imperial uh, in London, which is the equivalent of like Harvard School year in um, Boston. She's a very clever lady. She's very clever because she married me. <laughs> uh, we love the intellect. We just don't bow our knee to the intellect. And we're not looking to be a community who check our brains out at the door, but we are going to be a community who will not bow to the intellectual pseudo-wisdom of this world as if it should explain everything because we know there is a God whose ways are higher than our ways and whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. 
I love Paul. You see his journey, his missionary journey. He goes to this place called Areopagus, and he begins to culturally work with that area, trying to help them understand the gospel, and he engages at a cultural level, saying this unknown God, there are all these statues, and there's an unknown God, and he tries to engage with Areopagus in a way that intellectually stimulates. And the Bible actually says that only a few get saved. The next missionary stop he goes to is Corinth. Corinth was the bastion. It was the place of philosophy. Orators would get up and they would uh, bring forth these incredible um, uh, rhetorics and homilies to try and convince people about their way of thinking. And what does Paul do? He doesn't come in to try and convince them through their methods of oratory. He doesn't come in and go, hey, let me try and get culturally relevant. He comes in and the Bible says that he came in and he says, I did not come to you with wise or persuasive words, but I came to you with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We're called to be counterculture. It's not that we check our brains at the door. It's just that our intellect needs to serve the purposes of God, not the other way around. We want to break poverty in the city. Guys, I... I, I it grieves my heart that there is such a dis disparaging inequity between the rich and the poor in the city. We're going to have to live differently. It means we're going to have to put our weight behind what God is doing at Lion of Judah on Miracle Mile, one of the poorest parts of the city, governed by those who've been struggling with addiction. We need to be in there. It means that our community here cannot just be bougie, nice, Middle to upper class people. I mean, I like nice things, okay? I do, I get it. But we need the rich and the poor in this community because it's only by going against the prevailing culture and demonstrating something entirely different that the way of the kingdom is seen. I want to tell you the church in the city has lost its voice because it is bowed to culture rather than to the authority of Scripture and His ways. We need to deal with racism. I need to get on here. I'm, oh, help me, Jesus. <laughs> we need to deal with racism in the city. It is not okay that many of our neighborhoods are defined geographically by racial groups. It is not okay if we're going to take down, if we're going to be wise, if we're going to be the wisdom of God on display, we are going to have to be counterculture. I'm so glad if you look around right now. Please have a look. We've got all manner of color in the room. I love it. But we need some more. And this is not because I is black. I'm not preaching this because it's a nice, woke time to preach. Everyone wants to be really woke right now. Forgive me. Help me, Jesus. I'm going to say this very quickly. 
But I want to tell you, woke justice is not kingdom justice. It looks entirely different. Because at the foot of the cross, the victim and the perpetrator receive grace and come into freedom. But we, this is not a gospel of politically correctness that we want white, black, whatever colors in between connected. This is because we have seen a prophetic picture that every tribe, every tongue is in heaven worshiping Jesus and we want heaven on earth. Just two more. This city has a stronghold around medical breakthroughs. I am so glad for the medical practitioners that we have. Like I said, my wife is a doctor. We've got friends who are studying to be a doctor, people in nursing uh, profession in our community. I want to tell you a medical miracle is a miracle. We're not, we're not one of those churches who uh, despise uh, medicine and call it faith. That's just not wise. But I want to tell you the Bible says first the natural, then the supernatural. And I want to believe God that not only will we be known for medical breakthroughs, but we will be known for miraculous breakthroughs. That as a people, when they come into our church, and I'm so glad we're starting to get to, to, to be that. People come in and have got healed in our meetings. Shika Bazooka getting happy suddenly. We, we want to be a community that pulls down the stronghold of leaning into the arm of the flesh without expecting the hand of God to bring us. Table Boston, are you willing to go with us? Because that's where we're going. The last thing I want to say to you, everyone told us when we came to this part of the world, just get ready. Church will be real hard. Get ready. You're not going to grow. In fact, one pastor said to my dear wife, don't bother about getting a big enough house because you won't grow. The spirit of unbelief and stupidity all wrapped up in one, Jesus, help us. I want to tell you, dear friends, we are not going for a weak church that is undiscipled, that only understands scripture from the bare basics of a Sunday morning preach. We are going for discipleship. We are going for a church who are rooted in Christ, who know the word of God and who are empowered to do what Jesus told us to do. I believe it is time that there will be a multiplication of strong churches planted in the Massachusetts area. Somebody help me get happy because some of you in this room in five years, two years, three years, might be the church planters that God sends. Yes, <laughs> a wise man scales the city and pulls down the strongholds in which they trust. We're going to pull down some strongholds. Not simply by prayer, although that's very powerful and we want to do that. Not simply by doing one or two prophetic acts, which is wonderful and powerful, but being an incarnational community that looks entirely different. We're coming for a landing. The result is joy in the city. Can I tell you, when we arrived in Boston in the middle of COVID in May 2020, 
this city was grumpy as sin. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I don't think I've met as many angry people in a very long time. You just need to drive on the streets here and you'll, you'll see some angry people. <laughs> I've heard some words that I didn't know existed. <laughs> I've seen some things, people point fingers at me that I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, help me, save me. Wouldn't it be incredible if Boston is known as the city of joy? Because the kingdom showed up. Listen, Kathy and I minister quite often in Dubai in the Middle East. And the government in Dubai appointed a minister of happiness for the next. Somebody is getting paid to make the country happy. Let it be so in Boston. And let the church be the ministers of happiness. Oh, the most countercultural thing you can do is be a joy bringer to a grumpy city that needs to encounter the love and the life of Jesus. Problem is, the church has looked like it's been sucking lemons for far too long. <laughs> I often say this, you look like you've been baptized in lemon juice <laughs> rather than the Holy Spirit and joy. And I want to say this, joy has to move your face. There was great joy in the city. You can't say you're joyful and look grumpy most of the time. Brothers and sisters, I, I hope you're getting my heart. Samaria, a hard city, a contentious city, governed by racism, superstition. One Jewish deacon shows up, who's now a Christian, demonstrates the kingdom, and joy comes to the whole city. What could God do with you lot? The most countercultural thing that we can do is be a force of joy in the city. I want to just say this. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 14 that it is by wisdom a city is delivered. We are the wisdom of God on display. We are the deliverance that this city needs. The Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him come to me and ask is that God gives liberally. Your place of influence is the mandate that God has given you to redeem, no matter how difficult it is. Listen, you haven't been threatened with your life yet, so you can't call it persecution just yet. Just because somebody doesn't agree with your political allegiance does not mean it's persecution. I will move on quickly. I believe God is calling us at the table to be an apostolic community, that means a people who are sent as scattered servants. Thank God, not by persecution, but by choice. So that we would bring joy, not only to the city, but to every context that we find ourselves in. Dear friends, I wish God had a plan B. Because I see my own frailty, I see my own brokenness. I wish God had a plan B because I see 
how fraught with disunity and just plain unholiness that I see in the church. I wish God had a plan B, but he doesn't. And Jesus, in his wisdom, who is wisdom personified, said, I will build my church. And he said, I will give my life for her. Dear friends, what are you giving your life to? If Jesus gave it for the church, I want to suggest to you, so should we. Let me stand to your feet for a moment. We're going to pray. I'm so excited that we're going to have a moment in just a few minutes to celebrate the transforming power of the gospel as we baptize two people today. I'm so grateful that we're going to have a public display of what it looks like to be the church. But dear friends, I have seen God do more in cities. And I believe Boston is on God's heart, not because of geography, but because there are churches who are crying out for revival. We're one of them. And dear friends, I want to tell you, church is not Sunday. God forgive us. It's the people who incarnate the kingdom wherever we go. And we gather to him and for him. And I know we've got numbers of guests here who might never have been. And I've fallen in love with the city of Boston. And I want to see great joy come to this city. If you're not from Boston, I want great joy to come to your city. Why don't you close your eyes and lift up your hands just for a moment. Father, right now, I thank you for your presence in this room. I thank you, God, that you are here. I release your kingdom upon your people even right now. Come with your power. Come with your anointing. Jesus, would you touch people right now? Would you empower people? I want to tell you, you will not be able to give anything away if you don't have it yourself first. And so, Father, right now, would you fill the table with joy? Would you make us a people of great joy? The kind of joy that moves our face. The kind of joy that actually looks like something. The kind of joy that is contagious and effervescent. The kind of joy that permeates everything and that changes the atmosphere of a city. Would you do that for us, I pray? Come, Holy Spirit. Just right now, I believe God's presence is resting upon some of you. If you came in with pain in your body, I want you to check it out right now. Do something you couldn't do. We've been seeing healing every single Sunday for the last three Sundays, so I figure we might as well go for this right now. Check it out. Do something you couldn't do before. Check out healing. If anything has changed in your body, it's either getting better, pain is leaving, or the pain is completely gone. Can you just wave your hand at me just very quickly? I want to see what God's doing. 
Come Holy Spirit. If you know God's doing something in your body right now, just pain is lifted or it's completely gone, just wave your hand at me very quickly. I want to see what God's doing. Come Holy, there we go. We've got a hand up there. There's a hand at the back. That's two hands. Anyone else? Three hands over here. Anybody else? God's doing something in your body. That's three hands that have just gone up. Anybody else? Just wave your hand at me very quickly. There's another hand, four hands, five hands over there. I just want to say, for healing, there wasn't even soft playing music playing in the background. But God healed people. Won't you give him a huge shout of praise and hallelujah. This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.